Greetings, fellow wanderers in the fourth dimension. This is the greatest show in the galaxy. I'm Mike, and she's Emma. And uh, in this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're not going to be talking strictly Doctor Who, but if you're sort of like in a person in, like, say, America and things like that, and you've watched Doctor Who, then we've got a few suggestions for other British sci-fi which uh, you might like as well. But first, before we do that, we've got a rumour to address. Yeah, so normally we wouldn't bother too much with rumours. These things come out, well, quite frequently, especially mm-hmm. in the sort of the the downtime in between series. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one is quite substantial and has a whiff of credibility about it, mm. which I sort of don't really feel like I could dismiss out of hand like some of the other rumours, such as the, the Bradley Walsh being in the series one. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with saying mm. that's probably bollocks. Because... Um, <laughs> It's the usual thing of like, oh, you know, a source inside the BBC tells us sort of mm-hmm. thing, which is synonym with we read it on Gallifrey Base or we just made it yeah, up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this one, it it sort of feel like the 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 direction that the rumours suggest the series might go in sound plausible. You see mm. what I mean? So basically, what it's saying is that there's going to be a revamp, which. Yeah. You know, understandable. Match, you know, it's it's new series, new Doctor, new everything. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a new console. There's going to be a new interior. There's going to be a new exterior. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's not before you sort of start dashing off furious emails. The the exterior of the TARDIS does change. It's a sort of diff, slightly different shade of blue, or it's a different mm-hmm. size. I mean, the, the TARDIS model that they use at the moment is actually, I think it's like the, one of the biggest ones. I think, isn't I it? Think it's, so, it's, yeah. it's huge compared to like the seventies ones. It's it's much taller. Mm-hmm. Um, from I mean, because when I went to the went to the exhibition a few weeks ago, they have the shelves mm-hmm. on display, and it, they really do differ in size. So it's not yeah. it's not. That's not unprecedented. I mean, also, they sometimes make it more beat-up looking or more shiny. And, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, these things are for the par for the course. But the, yeah. the interesting nugget that came out was the idea that how the series is being broadcast is going to change. Mm. So, basically, it, what they're saying is that there will be 10 episodes plus yeah. a Christmas special instead of the 12 we had now, which is down from 13, which we, we originally started with. Mm. But these 10 will be 60 minutes in length. Yeah. And do you know what? I mean, yes, it's fewer episodes. Yes, it is. But how many times have we said on this podcast when we've been talking about New Who, I wish it had been a little bit longer? Yep, absolutely. Um, An extra 15 minutes Mm -hmm. makes a a world of difference. I mean... I think that sometimes we've accused, like where they've had longer episodes, sort of Christmas and things like that, we have accused them of sometimes being a touch flabby. Yeah. But I feel like 60 minutes is not an insurmountable task to fill that hour slot properly. Mm. Also, if they're having to write two less episodes. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, if it's two less episodes, that's uh, two lots of 45 minutes. Break that down. That's 16. That, sorry, that's six chunks of 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, they only have to write, you know, they're not writing anything extra, if you see what I mean. The yeah. work that they'd have to put into a 60-minute one, mm-hmm. they sort of get back that time from having to write two less, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And there's a good chance that, you know, they might be able to do more with the budget. Yes. Um, so, so they can yeah. concentrate on putting putting money into a big effect if you know you're going to use it for an hour show or have a two like two part essentially so it's going to take two hours so you can really 
get your teeth into some of these stories, I think. Mm. Yeah. I mean, like you say, like the I think it was like a new console room, new TARDIS shell, new Sonic screwdriver. Yeah, they're also like part of the course. I mean, you kind of expect yep. that now. Yes, absolutely. Um, and actually, one thing I'd said on the Simply Syndicated Slack was I'm kind of surprised that when Peter Capaldi came in, um, certainly in terms of the Sonic screwdriver, that it didn't like go straight to the like, the current model. Yeah. Or something, because for this first year, he had Matt Smith's screwdriver, and it always yeah. seems a bit weird to me. Not like, not like wrong, or something, but it's because the the screwdriver at that that point in time was so tied to Matt Smith's doctor. It mm. seemed a it's it seemed a bit more unusual. For yeah, the, definitely. It, um, yeah. For me, I, th- I always felt like because they were trying to sort of sell this idea that. Year one, Peter Capaldi is, is like pretty raw and kind of doesn't care about these mm. things. So, what you know, if he doesn't need to, I mean, I don't want to say anything about him being Scottish, but if he doesn't need to spend money on a new Sonic, <laughs> why would he? This one works fine. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Um, uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but when when I read um, the bit about a few episodes, but longer, um. I was kind of like, I'm okay with this. Actually, yeah. I, I wasn't as... I, I don't know what I was quite expecting. Do you know no. what I mean? Um, I mean, yes, it's a few episodes I'm, of Doctor Who, but then again, that's never necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, it's... If you get better episodes, longer episodes, but better episodes. If I get, I would rather have 10 slightly longer, better episodes than 12 shorter, not as good episodes. Mm. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, if 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 indeed it works, I mean, I'm happy to you know give it a go for a year. If if hmm. they do it for a series and it you know they sort of think oh it doesn't quite mesh with what we want to do, then you know okay. But hmm. I, I think it's worth giving it a try. Yeah, certainly. I mean, if if the fact this does if this is the case, you will see people you know threatening to chop themselves off roofs because you know it's two less episodes and taking away our Doctor Who. Okay, but we, you know, we've had instances in the series where it's been broken up into you know blocks of seven, mm-hmm. four in a year, yeah. all these sort of things, and we've managed, you know. So I, yeah. I'm, in a way, I, if they do decide to go with that, I think it's it's not like oh what a bold strategy. It, it's an it's an interesting idea, and I think that it's definitely worth exploring it as mm. a as a way forward. Yeah. Definitely sixty minute sixty minute episodes. I'm interested to see what they could do with the extra, the extra fifteen. Whether we're going to be sitting here on this show going, do you know what? If they tighten, if they taken ten minutes out of it and tightened it up, <laughs> because longer ain't always better. I just yeah. watched 20, Blade Runner twenty forty eight and my ass is still numb. That thing is two and three quarter hours long. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, this was reported by the Daily Mirror, uh, the newspaper. Here in well, the UK, so inverted commas newspaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so... news on a piece of paper, but you know it's news, quote unquote, on a piece quote, of paper. Quote unquote, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like we say, um, anything that comes out from them, just take it with a pinch of salt. I mean, like we said, this one's got a bit more sort of uh, plausibility to it. Yes, um, it sounds a lot more plausible than any other rumours that have come out so far. Anyway, yeah. 
So there's there's your friendly reminder from us. If it's in the sun, it's a spoiler. If it's a mirror, it's probably bollocks. And if it's in the star, it's boobs. So there yes. you are. So and there so you. The Express is about Princess Diana being in the show, and that's not true. No. So, yeah. Okay. So, moving on to our subject for today. Um, yes. So, what, how should we start? Shall we just... Um, we'll do it by decade, shall we? So, yeah. we'll... Well, what we'll do is we'll we'll explore a, a, a decade at a time. So we work from the sixties when who started all the way up, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about some things you might have missed, maybe, or some things that maybe you've looked at and thought, mm, I'm not sure. And also, maybe we'll highlight some things that who actors, you know, the companions and doctors, maybe things you haven't seen them in that uh, you think, oh, you know, I like that guy. I want to check him out in something else. Mm-hmm. We've got a few suggestions for you there. So should we kick off in the in the 60s? Mm-hmm. Well, I think actually maybe we need to wind a little back back to the late 50s because... Yes, we should, absolutely. The, the sort of the big one, as I suppose you could... Uh, uh, say is Quatermass in the pit. Oh God, yeah, Quatermass in the pit. Uh, all the Quatermasses actually, mm. because they they were sort of there was a, a mixture of films um, and there was some TV series as well, and there was some radio stuff. So they all don't necessarily track on from one another. Mm. Um, Bernard Quatermass, our, our titular hero, changes face a few times and things like this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of influence, the Quatermass experiment in particular. Yeah. Um, is is really up there with with kind of you know you, you kind of can't compare it to anything else in the in the, it was it was decades ahead of its time the experiment mass experiment I mean I watched it not long ago and it feels so fresh still mm. I mean even though it's in a you know in a blitz knackered London and <laughs> um, you know it was one of those programs like my nan talks about that people you know left the pub to go home and home, go home and watch and things mm. like that. Mm-hmm. It it was um, it it was the series when it was on, and I think actually it still holds up. There is a jump scare in the Quatermass experiment, which gets me every single fucking time. <laughs> Even though I know it's coming, I won't yeah. spoil it for anyone who's mm-hmm. you know never seen it. But I was going to say, if you watch no other Quatermass, the first one, Quatermass experiment, mm-hmm. is great. It it touches on themes that that come up in Who, things like race memory mm-hmm. and. Um, Things like it's something that they really liked the little tropes that they really like to cover in sort of who in in twenty years from when this was made. Yeah. So it's it was it was really up there at the time. Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, Quite a Mass in the Pit as well um, did also mm. sort of like inspire Doctor Who in various ways. I mean, Mark Gatiss wrote in a Guardian article says what sci-fi piece of the past fifty years doesn't owe Nigel Neal a huge debt? I um, mean, mm. like take the demons or. Um, uh, image of the Fendal. Which, yeah, so they are like, straight from this. Yeah, yeah, so it's like like unearthing an extraterrestrial spaceship, alien race that's interfered with human evolution, and is the basis for like devils, demons, witchcraft, you know, and things like that. I mean, yeah, it's 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 the UR example of British sci-fi. It, yeah, it is, and like I say, the, the the influence of what the country had just been had literally just been through. Mm-hmm. I mean, only only um, eight years removed from the end of the war and things yeah. like that. So that that influence, or I say that 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 sort of trauma that the whole that the British nation had, had went through, mm. you can't escape it in 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 there, and it, it's extremely important. And let's not forget Bernard Quatermass himself. I mean. Mm. The guy is 
a proto doctor essentially yeah they even like give him a shout out sort of nodding a wink towards him in uh, remembrance of the daleks didn't they they do yeah yeah <laughs> the british the british rocket, rocket group, group which yeah. he, he works for uh mm-hmm. are are in universe exist um and <laughs> yeah they they reference that then so yeah. i think they reference it in um oh one of the christmas special the first tenant christmas special Oh, Christmas um, Invasion, yeah, yeah, I think they do as well, yeah. Mm, that sounds familiar. I haven't seen it in a while, but um, yeah, that sounds about right, actually, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, let's jump forward to the 60s. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you've got the entire gamut of Jerry Anderson's um, shows. You've got Fireball XL5, you've got Thunderbirds, uh, Stingray, Joe 90. But the one I wanted to touch on particularly is Captain Scarlet and the Mistrons. My favourite one, yeah. hands down. It's, it's super good, like, you know. Um, yeah. Because this also sort of ties into Doctor Who because it is a family slash children's show, ostensibly, but with a very dark edge. Yeah, it really is. Considering that basically the first episode ends in two of your ostensible heroes fucking dying and coming yeah. back for, and one being enslaved as a zombie by yeah. an evil alien race that was bent on human destruction yeah <laughs> and as well they go out of your way to make him look dead as well mm. if you remember like oh, yeah. if you remember watching it yeah remember being, hor- being really scared by our poor old captain black he, mm. he looks like you know they they're like making grayer yeah put some put bigger circles under his eyes yeah and um yeah i mean because i mean did you watch it like when i watched it when they put them back on at tea time in the 90s yeah oh yeah i mean that was that was when i mostly like saw like things like thunderbirds and stingrays and bbc two would just like run them out nauseam and then you know you get blue peter sort of like coming along saying here you can make your own tracy island out of like washing up bottles and sticky back plastic and all that because obviously at the time there was this huge like like merchandising wave again mm. and i think i've still got like my thunderbird 2 from the time and possibly even mm. my stingray and like i think the spectrum pursuit vehicle um, yeah my dad had an original spectrum pursuit vehicle because my dad loved all these all these things when they were on yeah um the first time around because my dad was sort of a kid when uh five ever falls was on and things mm-hmm. like that oh, yeah. um and we broke the fuck out of his, his spv that <laughs> thing is probably that probably was worth I mean, because you know that they had, because it was that thing that they drove backwards and looked in a mirror yeah. to drive, uh, which I was thought was really weird. Um, and then they had the chair that came out of the SPV, sort mm-hmm. of, so you would face oh, yeah. the oncoming traffic. We broke it to the degree that you couldn't push a chair back in. Oh. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah. Well, I heard that the SPV was based, the reason why they did that was because, like, um, with tanks, whenever they were collide with something, you know, all the occupants inside would get absolutely pasted. So I think the rear-facing seats was, like, help prevent injury or something, or something like that. Um, yeah, but the driver's still front-facing, though, because the driver was rear fa- had his back to the yeah the, the direction of travel yeah. in the SPV, didn't it? That's not, I don't think they do it in tanks now, do they? I have no idea. Um, but, I mean, at the time, I'd imagine that was the sort of thing <laughs> yeah. we were looking at. But, um, now, Captain Scarlet was one of those rare shows where... So, like, the, the good guys would not always win. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of times it it just sort of ended up as a standstill or maybe one of the parties ended up on the back foot. I mean, there wasn't, like, an outright defeat and there wasn't an outright victory either. Um, mm. But it just, like, again, for sheer darkness, um, like, obviously you'd have, like, people getting offed and then replaced 
by these clones, sort of replicas, who would go around like sabotaging. Them. I mean, that's that's classic, like Doctor Who. I mean, I don't think I don't remember any sort of like such plot ending up with one of the replicants like exploding and taking out mm. a building like they did in Captain Scarlet. Um, but it wasn't afraid to sort of like again to, like show the darker side. And of course, you have Spectrum, the World Organization, like formed to take on the threat of the Mysterons, and mm. they're pretty much a unit. Um, pretty much, yeah. I mean, fucking cloud base. You know, we got that in, <laughs> in like, modern Doctor Who. Yeah, uh, essentially, yeah, the Valiant. I mean, you can't tell me that the Valiant is not a direct rip oh, from Captain Scarlet. It basically is. Yeah. I think I think I'll all but, like, called it cloud base when uh, we were talking about Series 3, I think, wouldn't you? <laughs> so... Well, yeah, and as well, I mean, I don't know if you have the same problem as me with the Avengers films that with the the, uh, the, the shield helicarrier, yeah, yeah. essentially well, is cloud base. Now, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure like Jen or one of the like more comic book oriented, uh, simply syndicated hosts might jump down my throat, but I think the helicarrier was actually a year before Captain Scarlet. Fair enough, then. So. Um, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I could be wrong. So, you know, anyone who wants to write in and correct me, I don't really care, to be honest, but there you go. Yeah. But, <clears throat> but I mean, it, it, it was, you say it was for kids, it's pretty uncompromising. I mean, oh, as yeah. a kid, they just sort of expect you to go along with this incredibly tense sort of Cold War drama about, mm. you know, industrial sabotage yeah. and, you know, big plots against cities mm-hmm. and... Um, kind of nuclear terrorism and things like that and mm. they just go you know and go with it yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah but uh i remember really liking one of the thing i liked best was the angels mm. in it as well yeah um for some reason i don't really know or even the tremendously sexist things they used to say to the angels <laughs> and things like that but i would say definitely watch i mean it, it's captain scarlet thunderbirds and to a lesser extent stingray are the the three yeah um I mean, things like Joe Knightley, although good, mm. are quite sort of more... You will watch Joe Knightley and think this is like Kid Austin Powers, essentially. Yeah. Like the design sensibilities more. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's definitely of its time. I don't really like Five or X or Five very much. Mm. Not a huge fan of the Terror Hawks either. Yeah. I find yeah. the Terror Hawks quite creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, there's something for you, yeah. Um, yeah, my dad hated Joe 90 when he was kid. He, he was definitely the, the Captain Scarlet fan. Yeah. I, I would say people do have strong feelings about which which one they really like. I'm mm. I'm far and away a big Captain Scarlet fan above all the other ones. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say if you've never seen any of them, you, you, ha- you owe it to yourself to get oh, on yeah. one of these. Just try them. I mean, you will forget that they are puppets. Oh, Obviously, yeah. you will. They are, I mean, obviously, they've still got like the whole puppet movement. I mean, you never see them like the, if go they through move, doors. Yeah, if they ever move, they you see them move. They always from like the waist up because obviously Jerry Anderson puppets could not walk to save their lives, their non-existent mm. lives. I don't know why I went with that <laughs> phrase, but they are. But compared to like certainly Stingray and Thunderbirds, the puppets are a lot more realistic i mean they're still puppets but it's like they've got like proper proportions um you know their their heads aren't like like huge, huge. like like yeah. um and i think i remember like jerry anderson never really liked the look of the puppets for captain skull but it's honestly some of the best work 
yeah, really, it really is. Um, I remember when I was first, first started watching when I was really little, my dad ruined it because he was saying, watch what happens when they try and go through a door. You don't see them go through a door, do you? He's like, Dad, stop ruining it! Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's why Lieutenant uh, Green has his little sort of chair and it's got like a little conveyor belt so he can move along to the along the. Yeah, so he doesn't go... Cons- that's a really big console. It is a massive <laughs> console. He has got a lot to do. Yeah. But isn't it nice that it's a bloke doing that job and not a woman? Who's, because he's basically Colonel White's secretary. Yeah, and it's an Asian bloke as well. I mean, that's yeah, that's one that's good true. thing about um, Captain Scott is that they weren't afraid to be like multinational. You know, that's unlike, right. Yeah. So, like so, Thunderbirds, where you know, basically, like the the Asian fellow is basically the servant, and yes. you know, Carano, uh, and you've got like the sort of quote unquote yellow peril of the hood. Um, mm. But you know, the Tracy boys, the pilots, are all white dudes. You know, yes. so you know, and, and also like, like you say with the angels in Captain Scott, they're all women and they're yep. all uh, multinational as well they are yeah so you know it was, it's a really sort of positive message in a very dark show yeah it really is and but as well what i really liked is all the it, all the episodes are kind of although i'm sort of talking about all their quite talky kind of cold war sort of botch puppets smoking in dark rooms sort of thing <laughs> um the st- the stuff what i would call the stunts the big explosions and stuff mm-hmm. they do not disappoint i mean because oh, yeah. it's really it's really easy to sort of get the proportions wrong and then your brain just goes no not real mm-hmm. but every time in captain scarlet and thunderbirds they do it in such a way that you kind of you know it is a small like little balsa wood model blowing up and mm-hmm. when you watch stingray they had to sort of do it in a fish tank and then the fish are sort of <laughs> the wrong size um yeah um but um yeah it's the action in it they all mm. got a bit of action and they're all just so much fun yeah yeah um we should maybe move on because this is going to turn yeah. into like we're going to the captain scarlet yeah power hour. <laughs> um what have you got next what would you like to talk about next um what else have we got in the 60s um... this day so i've got the wrong page up oh, right. <laughs> What about Adam Adamant lives? Weird. Weird. You know we were talking. You know we were talking about Captain about Austin Powers. Yeah. It's essentially that. It's. Have you ever seen it at all? I haven't. No. Right. Okay. Um, so I've seen like a couple of episodes. So basically, the idea is he's an Edwardian gentleman mm-hmm. who's been sort of frozen in time and then is awakened again in the swinging sixties London. <laughs> And so yeah. you get, you know, uh, uh, you know, him trying to work out the tube and electricity and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. It is Austin Powers. It is sort of right on kind of, you know. Ah, I think I know where my brain went because um, it was developed by Sidney Newman, produced yeah. by Verity Lambert. That's, I think that's sort of like, yeah, and um, uh, the guy who played uh, Adam Adamant. Oh, um, God, was it uh, Gerald Harper, I believe it is. He's very sort of third doctor, isn't he? He is, yeah, because he's got the cape and the velvet and mm-hmm. the the kind of the 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 rouge kind of collars and all that sort of thing. And he has a sword, you know, so he swashbuckles with guys. I mean, <laughs> I, I will confess, I've only seen a couple of episodes, and it's so weird. And, and mm-hmm. the problem is as well, if you're someone who's seen all the Austin Powers films, <laughs> we, you know, years before you've seen this, you you just cannot take that comparison out of your brain it's, mm. it's very difficult it um, you know it, it wasn't very well beloved at the time i don't think but it's one of those series that again because of the who connection with uh, verity and uh, sydney mm. people there are people who do like it i mean i do know a couple of people who you know watch the watch rot remains of it on dvd but um yeah. i would say it's 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 kind of third level 
homework i would say mm. i think there's some there's some more user-friendly stuff you can check out but i mean if you're if you feel sufficiently advanced and you want to have a look if you mm. want to see i mean because um i think that uh, mike myers would would say that these things influenced him so yes. i wouldn't yeah as I a wouldn't. curiosity mm. it is it is a bit of a yeah. yeah yeah um what about the prisoner Oh my! I, I, I've seen. I, I did not care for the remake. Mm. Let's do it that way. But I have seen the original series. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things that it's unfortunately it's kind of been memed to death. If you see what I mean. Yeah. That yeah. you're you're kind of just sitting there watching we a succession of weird things happen. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, and um, watching for all the weird Christian undertones. Mm-hmm. Which uh, which is in that series, you know the the LBC the the gesture they use the BC in you one yeah. with the sort of circle and the three fingers that's apparently a <laughs> a, a Christian thing of some description because it's the Father Son Holy Spirit on the third thing three fingers apparently uh, I don't yeah. know if this is apocryphal it may well be um, it's yeah um, I one of my wishes is to still go to Port Merion at some point <laughs> in my life just to just to see it because I've mm-hmm. never we've never been. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things of it's it's kind of becomes like so torn to bits and mm-hmm. referenced and it, it's it's difficult to all kind of appreciate as a series on its on its own merits almost. Yeah, but I, I feel mean. like it it it's one of those things you kind of have to do almost mm-hmm. as a as a person who's into science fiction. I mean, but I think as well it doesn't necessarily mean you have to like it. No. I think there's this feeling with some of these things that you, if you don't like the old prisoner, you know, you're a bit of a philistine or whatever. But I think it's fine to watch this guy. This is fucking like just load of nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even if you don't want to watch, I mean, um, Ray Guns and Go Go Boots, one of our sister shows on Simply Syndicate yes. Network, did an episode all about uh, the prisoner. So you know, if you if you don't quite fancy it, like suffering the madness, you could always listen to uh, Rick and Rich. <laughs> talk about it talk about it yeah um, i think but as well i think that there's there is a, 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 a thing of just just getting it and making up your own mind as mm, well yeah because yeah. everyone wants to put like a because it because it's so weird you, you a bit like twin peaks which mm. i you know i don't know if we'll talk about but um it it became a thing of people would, would took these things that were in the show and tried to subscribe meaning to them mm. and of course you know art is some is a thing of how you react to it is is the thing of art isn't it yeah so nice. people try to put you know agendas on you know this episode that mm. episode or this must mean this and this is a comment about how britain was on this in this time and things like that but i think that there is a thing of just you know, just just take it in as like a visual spectacle or something extremely yeah. different as something innovative and making my own mind up. Mm. Um, I think the only other one from the 60s that I might want to touch upon is Afro Andromeda from 1961. All right, yes, because that got remade as well. Yes. Um, I want to say 2006. Six. Okay. Yeah, because um, was Mark Gatiss in it? I think he might have been, yeah. Uh, two checks. I can't. No, I don't see him listed in forty. But um, just because he wasn't listed on like the main cast doesn't mean he was necessarily. Uh, Tom Hardy was in it though. 
Bloody hell. Tom Hardy did some Tom Hardy did some things before he got mad famous. I mean everyone forgets he was in that bloody Star Trek film. Um <laughs> I certainly do. Oh yeah, I remember Nemesis. Oh, oh. I I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, right? I went right. to see Nemesis because um, I can't remember if I've told this story on the podcast before. I don't know because it's no. not kind of who related. But when I went to see Nemesis, because it came out the same time as the first Lord of the Rings film. Yeah. And it got buried, oh, as did. you can imagine. It did. Oh, it got so buried. And I, I went to see it. It had only been out like... Because it was like New Year's, it came out. It was yeah, it was. It, was it, just, it wasn't yeah. Christmas. It was sort of New Year's, mm-hmm. and um, I had just had my wisdom teeth out. Oh, and this was when I was. I just sort of started feeling like I could go out and do something, mm-hmm. and the thing I chose to do was go and see Nemesis. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I was like, I just wish I'd stayed home with an ice pack on my face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nemesis was, but you know what? The the shame about Nemesis is it could have been a good idea. I mean, because I mean, yeah, you got Tom Hardy, but why not get Patrick Stewart playing against himself if you wanted to do the, the clone thing, and then you could have Patrick Stewart go off the rails, and you've got like um, B four, but you know you don't need another soon to add. You don't need. You could just just if you wanted to do like the evil twin, you've got Law. Yeah. Uh, it's um, like. A- if, if only you'd made a completely different film, it would have been much better. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. we, we um, digress. Um, but yeah, it's um, because that actually reminds me quite a mess. They did, they did a remake of mm-hmm. in that as well, didn't they? And they yeah. did it live, if I recall. That's true. That does ring a bell. Because isn't David Tennant in that? That's a good question. Um, I can't. Let me let me check. Talk amongst yourselves. Yes, because I remember the Quatermass one, uh, they did live, I want to say, it was sort of about the same they did Age for Andromeda. Yeah. So it was about the the, uh, the mid-noughties. Yes, um, it was And in it, it went out live, and I remember watching it live, and they had to kind of improvise because there was an effect right at the end of this thing, and it didn't work. Mm. And they had to try and just make it up as they went along. Oh, bless them. Uh, yeah, Mark Gatiss and David Tennant were in it, yeah, so... Yep. So yeah. worth checking out as well. Um, it was brave of them to try and do it live because yeah, yeah, it was um, it was it was quite remarkable at times. I remember they were like live and uninterrupted, quite a mess. <laughs> um, but yeah, a friend Andromeda. Um, I won't talk too much about because you should really, if you don't know what happens in it, you should see it because mm-hmm. there's it's a bit of a twisty turny one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 um, a great story. And again, if you want to see kind of people who've been in who recently looking like little babies because it was you know 11 years ago now mm. uh, oh no not 11 years no hang on yes 11 yes. years ago yeah, um yeah. it you know they're worth checking out definitely mm. i'm not sure i'm not sure if the bbc one is sort of the definitive a for andromeda i think there was one in the 70s wasn't there that um, oh no the 60s sorry that um the one, the one you're talking about now yeah. which i think is sort of considered the yeah I mean, a good I, one actually it's um, just reading the wikipedia it, um footage from it appeared in Torchwood. The episode Random Shoes. So, there you go. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Okay, um, so shall we jump forward to the 70s? Yes, and we're going to have to talk about Blake 7 up front, I think, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. Um, which was kind of the other big sci-fi series that was on at the same time as 70s Who. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think at times they weren't... I mean, it, Blake 7 was never on the level of Doctor Who in terms of popularity, but it was a Terry Nation joint. Yeah. And if you watch old Blue Peters from that time, because we've got some on like archive and that, mm-hmm. you get as many, 
because we should explain for American people. So Blue Peter Peter, is sort of a children's magazine show. Yeah. And it has like three, usually three jolly presenters and some pets. Mm -hmm. And it will be a combination of like, you know, here's a thing that children your age are doing in this part of the country. You know, this is what their school's doing. And here's one of our presenters going on a mad adventure. Mm -hmm. And here's a thing you can build at home. So from your favorite TV show. So obviously sometimes it'd be make a Dalek cake. Yeah. Um, or what you would also find is because it, it sort of way of gauging what was popular, you'd also have quite a few Blake Seven builds. Mm-hmm. So in Blake Seven, they'd have like these little wristbands that are their transporters and stuff. So you know yeah. they had builds of, of make one of these out of a loo roll and all this sort of thing. Um, so Blue Peter is kind of important in terms of of keeping an eye on what was what the kids were into. Yeah. And there was a quite there was a quite a bit of Blake Seven stuff on there because you mm. know sometimes they'd have guests so they'd have Gareth Roberts on there sometimes who plays the titular Blake. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's mostly interesting because it is a Terry Nation thing. Yeah, and um, it's quite a bit darker than Who. Mm. Because if you yes. remember the first episode of Blake Seven, he has to go on the run because he is accused of being a kid toucher. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Because he's being, because his subversive acts are getting on the tits of the uh, the dystopian overlords, so he's mm-hmm. uh, he's uh, charged on uh, trumped up charges of being a kiddie fiddler, which <laughs> yeah. people forget. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but um, yeah, Blake Seven was like pretty dark. I mean, it was very dystopian. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of sort of like the characterizations in it wouldn't look out of place in 80s Doctor Who between the Doctor and the Companions because very rarely did they get along. I mean, especially when you've got um, Blake and Avon played by Paul Darrow, who would appear in Time Lash. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting in that the, the amount of sort of the Venn diagram between people who are in Doctor Who and, Doc- and people who are in Blake 7 is pretty is a pretty big overlap. I mm. mean, Colin Baker was in it, Brian Blessed. Yes. Um, you, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And you say about that idea of people who don't get on in yeah. even though in the same crew i mean that that influence is all over 82 mm. uh, yeah it's um for better or worse and the idea i mean serverland um <laughs> it's it's one of those things it's kind of crossed over into sort of camp territory because serverland yeah. is is a big character mm, oh, yeah. let's put it that way uh big headdresses um, lots of lying around on a chaise lounge being evil. Well, she's she's um, the, the gal in charge, so you know. Yeah, why not? I was gonna say, if, if I can offer, offer a comparison, maybe someone who hasn't seen that. If you've seen Deep Space Nine mm. and the Mirror Mirror Universe <laughs> episodes, yeah, you know Kira in the Mirror. That's her. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, I would not be surprised if somebody when there was like working on like the the Mirror Universe DS Nine episodes, like, remember that uh, British show Blake Seven. Oh yeah, I know where you're going with this. Yes, it, she, it's <laughs> straight up in. and down Serverland. Yeah, <laughs> right down to the bloody leather cat suit. Um, <laughs> oh, speaking of leather cat suits, with something I've nearly forgot to talk about, we'll, we'll get onto in a minute. All right. um, yeah, so it, it's one of those things that it's kind of like bizarro world Doctor Who mm. is Blake Seven because there are quite a lot of things of them just sort of all of them throwing a big strop at different corners of the Liberator for yeah. a while and then coming across a planet that they all have to sort of beam down to and they're all like bitching at each other when they get down there mm-hmm. and um, 
they sort of find some sort of dastardly scheme that's going on that they've got to stop and you know usually that is accomplished by killing quite a lot of the people who are there mm-hmm. and then they all beam back and then Orac does a big snark at them and it's all like okay see you next week yeah <laughs> tune in next week for more fun filled adventures yes yeah, more complaining <laughs> um but I mean although Blake 7 is a bit wonky um I do kind of recommend people check it out, but especially yeah. the last episode. Oh my god! I mean, because the way the la- what happens in the last episode, and it's kind of that thing of pushing boundaries as to what is acceptable to happen to the people who are the main characters in your show. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean. it's difficult to like not sort of spoil it outright. Um, yeah, exactly. But um, I would say it, it kind of took the idea that certain things happen to have have to happen in your final episode let's mm. put it that way yeah and how things resolve mm-hmm. and kind of threw all of those away <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it changed it changed what was kind of acceptable in that respect mm. mm-hmm. yeah okay um here's a thought what about doom watch again sort yes. of going for the sort of unit connection yeah, um, it is very much like that. This sort of in the seventies, this idea of of science gone mad yeah. is kind of a big is sort of a big theme mm-hmm. um, in 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 uh, sci-fi. I mean, as well because all these sort of ideas, like I know I bring it up all the time, but the ancient alien theory, yeah, yeah. as well as so the chariots of the gods, von Daniken things, and this whole because we, we were. Put, as a society, we're pushing through so many barriers with science. Yeah. Things things from the 60s to the 70s and the 80s sort of changed at such a, a speed mm. that I think that the sci-fi reflects what's happening in society, doesn't it, really? Yeah. So that's why you get a lot of these programs like Doomwatch, which mm-hmm. were about science run amok, essentially, mm-hmm. which is sort of what Quatermass is a bit about and yeah. what... Um, the things that aren't set in space, this is mostly what it's about. It's And the way the society was changing around, because it, it felt like, because we were moving on in such big leaps, mm-hmm. society was kind of always flailing to catch up a bit. Yeah. And how we responded to that. And things like Doomwatch are a reflection of that feeling, I think. Yeah. I mean, it was created by um, Jerry Davis and Kit Pedler, famous for uh, bringing the Cybermen to Doctor Who. And um, I think for a, good long while uh it was produced oh gosh where, where is it uh by, by terence dudley who um would go on to create survivors and then d- wrote and directed some episodes of uh, doctor who in the 80s mm. um but yes i mean it is very sort of like these are the kind of stories that wouldn't be out of place for a unit adventure um, yeah. In seventies Doctor Who, I mean, like the first episode, uh, it's called the mm-hmm. Plastic Eaters. Um, yeah, how which about is about that? A new experimental chemical, um, and it's it's so basically this chemical turns into a virus, um, which you know goes around destroying things. So you know, obviously, like, yeah, the, again, the sort of like the the Venn diagram of like where. 70s Doctor Who was at the time because I mean Doomwatch was 1970 to 1972 so this was right in the middle of John Pertwee's Stranded on Earth thing so you know I bet like the production office of Doctor Who at the time was sort of like keeping an eye on the Doomwatch lads because that was also on BBC One 
And every so yeah. often, the so Doom Watch would put out an episode, and you just hear like the furious scrunching up of scripts and tossing it into the bin. It's like, damn it, you know. <laughs> um, I was because it was quite controversial, wasn't it? Because it was pretty near the knuckle sometimes. Because mm. the one that I really remember is there was there's an episode that they banned. It was never made. Yeah. Um, um, because there, its content, there was something about its content. It was never made, but the one that precedes that, which is the one that I think a lot of people remember, is one called "Sex and Violence." Yeah, I, yeah. Third of twelve. Which one titled "Sex and Violence" was not transmitted? It's been suggested that this was because of objections to either its use of stock news footage of a public execution in Lagos, or its presentation of characters designed to be certificate analogs of Mary Whitehouse, Cliff Richard, and Lord Longford. Mm. Um, the execution footage has appeared on British television a number of times since 1972, notably in a 1988 edition of Panorama about violence on television. So, yeah, um, that one got uh, kind of like dragged across the coals, um, even though they sort of like pulled it from transmission. Um, yeah. I was going to say, for, for people my age who only remember the, the venerable actress June Brown from EastEnders, mm. it's quite startling to see Doc Cotton up on stage bellowing about vaginas. <laughs> um, that, is a, that is a bit of a mood whiplash. Oh, no, I don't want to think about that. Thank you. No, you don't. And no. um, it's, uh, it, it, yeah, it's... Um, it, it's one of those ones of it, it kind of feels, I mean, again, when you go back and watch it now, mm-hmm. you have things like you say about plastics and viruses and extreme weather and yeah. animals turning on people and things like that. It, there are episodes of it that feel quite fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's just a reflection of how we all felt and it, and these sort of new ideas are coming out. Like I say, all the, the old ancient alien ideas and mm-hmm. what I think it's like called transpermia, the idea that, that life on earth came from somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, all these things are reflected in, um, but in a way, some of these programs do the, kind of almost do these things slightly better than Who mm-hmm. because obviously Who is kind of restricted by being a family thing. I think the nearest thing to Doom Watch Who gets is the Green Death. Yeah, prob- yeah, that's probably very accurate. Um, actually, I've been looking, um, scrolling through the Wikipedia article on it, and surprising how many mm-hmm. like Doctor Who alums appeared in it. I mean, Liz yeah. Sladen was in uh, a series three episode, as was Nick Courtney. Um, mm-hmm. um, actually, Jeffrey Palmer was in the same episode as uh, Liz Sladen as Chief Superintendent Mallory, so he probably died. Because um, <laughs> like, like he always does in these sorts mm-hmm. of things. Um, yeah, so like, if you're a fan of Unit. I mean, the the only problem with Doom Watch is it doesn't exist in its entirety. There's a lot of yeah. lost episodes, you know, much like... Uh, oh, my God, Patrick Trout was in it as well. Huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yes, yeah. Oh, and uh, Desmond Llewellyn as well. Nice. Um, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, if you're, if you're a big fan of, like, the Unit years, I think Doom Watch is probably a good, a good shout. Mm-hmm. Um... On a similar note, if you want to get a bit weirder, you've got Sapphire and Steel. Ooh, Sapphire. Do you know what? I think Sapphire... I have watched all of Sapphire and Steel, mm-hmm. um, but I would say it is quite difficult. Yes. In that it is long, mm-hmm. and it is uncompromisingly long. Yep. Uh, I mean, because some of the... Cause they, they, it's serials like Who Is, but they're like eight and nine episodes long, mm-hmm. and, you know, it... it 
you do have to i would say do not watch these things all in one go break them up yeah because you will be like this is so boring Mm -hmm. but i was gonna gonna say if you want obtuse british uncompromising (laughs) sci-fi sapphire and still is it because it didn't give a fuck about no one watch this who cares this is the thing we want to make and it is it is up to you to try and work out if you like it or not it's one of those really but um I would say if you watch nothing else of Sapphire and Steel, I'll just have a quick look at the um, episode things just to remind myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this of serials here. Um, it was one of those ones. It sort of got in. It was inexplicably marketed, marketed at kids as well. There were a lot of books out and things like that yeah. for, for it. Um, oh, gosh, where is it? So the idea is that – well, I mean, I say the idea is. No one actually ever explains it, but <laughs> – <No. laughs> Roughly, what appears to be happening is Sapphire and Steel are sort of these extra-dimensional beings mm-hmm. who have certain powers. Yeah, and their job is to make sure the timeline works like it's supposed to. Yeah, I think all the irregularities will be handled by forces controlling each dimension. Transuranic heavy elements will not be used where there is life. Medium atomic weights are available: gold, lead, copper, jet, diamond, radium, sapphire, silver, and steel. Sapphire and steel have been assigned. And that is all the explanation you will get. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I would say if you watch nothing else of Sapphire and Steel, series two, so serial four, mm-hmm. the one with the photos. Yeah. Don't you remember that. Um, essentially, imagine Joanna Lumley versus Slenderman. <laughs> that is basically what it is. Mm. Yeah. Because the idea is that the baddie can appear, it is in every photo. Yeah, appeared in every ever photo. Ever taken. Anywhere. Anywhere. In the world. And is powerful yeah. enough to turn Sapphire and Seal into literal two-dimensional versions of themselves. Yeah. So that's this is like really like flatline on crack. If <laughs> It really is. Yeah. Um it's, it's It's quite intense. I mean, mm. there's... There's episodes where, I mean, there's like a World War One bit in one of them, and mm-hmm. there's a whole sequence where Steel is like hung up in the barbed wire on like a trench, and Oof. it is intense. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to go into it with a sort of prepared for what you're going to see and prepared for the pacing, mm. because like I say, it is uncompromising. Oh, yeah. But it's one of those ones that if, it, if, if you kind of take the idea that Doctor Who is kind of at the middle yeah. of of your sci-fi, you know, British sci-fi experience and everything sort of radiates out from there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sapphire and Steel is, is a, is a big branch and I think it's immensely influential on people who make who now. Yeah, I think so. So yes. like I say, you say like flatline, listen, mm-hmm. hide. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll talk about something that hide very was much influenced by in a second, but episodes like that are mm-hmm. straight out of Sapphire and Steel playbook. Yeah. Oh yes. Yes. Um, so you know, like again, don't so like prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves. Do not approach. You, you, it's one, not one of those things that you can like on a on a sort of weekday afternoon. You yeah. can just sort of say, "I've got a bit. I've got a couple of hours. I'll just stick it on, pot around the house." No, you have to watch it and sort of have a plan to watch it over a couple of days mm. because, like I say, they are long and they are not going to give you any you know, any help. You have to kind of pay attention. Yeah, take notes. Mm. (laughs) Um, So moving on, actually sticking on, uh, again, sticking with the sort of like unit-esque theme. What about UFO? Oh, no, I don't like UFO. (laughs) I, 
I think it's really naff. It's not great, like, but... For me, I mean, Chuck mm. loves it, but I just I thought, I thought because we watched it recently, because mm-hmm. um, it's a little bit before our time, so I mean, I'd, I'd only ever seen, like, people in wigs and um, <laughs> things like that, but, um, mm. yeah, it's, ooh, it's naff. Yeah, it's really now. more for, like, the, yeah, more for, like, the unit connection again, because, you yeah. know, you've got Shadow, the Supreme Headquarters Alien Defense Organization, so basically they're the ones, you know, along... With Spectrum and Captain Scarlet, are the ones who are facing down uh, the the alien threat, much like Unit. Mm. Um, but then, but Shadow is much more sort of um, undercover than like Unit was, mm. um, because they were like based out of like a movie studio or something. I think. Mm. Yeah, um, but I mean, it uh, it's a, a strange beast because it's um, I think it's Jerry Anderson's. Well, it's certainly his first live-action series. I mean, obviously, there was still, like, model elements. You know, we've got um, Skydiver and uh, all the various craft. Um, mm. So it is like definitely more of a curiosity, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But I was going to say, if you sort of... I mean, if you're kind of not in the mood for something that's as heavy as things like Doomwatch and Sapphire Steel, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's fine. I wouldn't <laughs> object to it in that respect. It's okay. Yeah, it's... it's not as fl- It's a bit more fluffy. Yeah, I mean, it's still got, like, elements of, like, drug use and divorce and things like that and that's it's the 70s though everyone yeah. was everyone was shit-faced and and <laughs> chucking their significant other to the curb that's just what was happening <laughs> yeah strange days i'm glad i never really was around to see well them. i mean no i think it was i think it was a very cool of turbulent mm. time i think because sort of breaking out of the traditional way sort of the fuddy duddy way that that britain was sort of out mm. of the 60s and that was sort of that that new wave of teen i mean when when like my mum and dad were teenagers so like yeah sort of the mid 70s oh no sorry i shouldn't say the mid 70s sort of the the early 70s mm-hmm. and all those uh, bands that they were going to see and the way that social attitudes were changing so quickly mm-hmm. um i think it was a cool time to be young yeah. I think if I was sort of in my 30s or 40s, I would have been a bit like, what the fuck is going on? Everything is like, like a tornado. I think, yeah. I think a little bit like how I think I feel a little bit sometimes now with the way, the way social media is and mm-hmm. like the 24-hour news cycle and stuff. It's so easy to feel just sort of overwhelmed by it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think that that, I think if you were sort of, like I say, sort of 40, 50, 60s, sort of like, so like my nan's age in the 70s, I'm sure it felt very mm. odd and sort of things were changing very quickly. Yeah. Um, so, another big one from the 70s, Survivors. Yeah, survive. I mean, it's a little bit more... I mean, obviously, we, we've talked about depressing British TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Survivors... Survivors. Uh, and literally everybody dies except, like, 1% of the population yeah, from much. a mysterious plague. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically them having to rebuild. The 70s The 70s original, um, if you watch it, 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 there are will be episodes of people just peeling spuds in the sink um, <laughs> once they... once. I mean, because, like I say, it, in those days, they weren't afraid to literally have people sort of sitting around for an episode mm-hmm. or watching people garden for an episode yeah. and things like that. Um, it was remade, I want to say, in 2000 and... Was it eight? It was 2008, yes. Yep, yep. Yeah, Freeman Adjaman is in it, mm-hmm. um, if you're interested in that respect. Uh, it's a little bit sort of more brought up to date. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's sort of your standard virus wipes out humanity. Human- what remains must rebuild. Mm-hmm. Um but it's it's significant in again it was Terry Nation. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, again, um, it's I haven't seen all of it. Um, no, but I've seen bits. Yeah, again, it's it's one of those ones where you know, it, like we say, it's like the bleak side of uh, British science fiction. Um, yeah. But the original like series um, had like Patrick Troughton, Brian Blessed, Philip Madoc in it. So you know, quite a few alums and a few people who um, appeared in it before becoming like proper famous. Like again, June Brown of EastEnders mm-hmm. fame, uh, Roger Lloyd Pack as well um, of Only Fools and Horses, and mm-hmm. Vicar Dibley who would later go on appear in Doctor Who, and David Troughton as well, son of uh, Patrick and uh, Dennis Lawson, uh, Wedge Antilles from Star Wars. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. There you go. I was, I was, I think it's one of those things. It is surprising when people that you know, it's almost exclusive for one thing, turn up in other things. Like, well, yeah, why wouldn't they? They're they're actors, mate. Yeah. They need a job. <laughs> yeah, it's like I always, I always get caught out when it's um, oh, which one was it? Um, Sinbad movies with Patrick Troughton in it. Which one was it? Oh God, are you thinking about um, oh, what's his face yeah. um, playing Sinbad's mate, and he's basically covered in gravy to make him look Arabic? Yes. <laughs> Which one was that? I can't remember now. Oh, but, Martin, um, no, Brain, um, please. It, I love those fucking films. Why can't I remember his name? Oh, I'm going to have to look it up. <laughs> yeah, look it up. But yeah. Um, Jason the Argonauts. Yeah, it, that's it. <laughs> I was yeah. Sinbad, where the fuck was I going with that? Because <laughs> no, he is in Sinbad as well. Oh. No, not not bad shouting this up. Because again, the, the Venn diagram oh. we were in Sinbad and Jason the Argonauts. Sinbad and the Irish Tiger. Yeah, he was in Sinbad and oh, the Irish Tiger. Tiger. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that film. Uh, So it is. I love that film. It's great. Um, Anyway, by the by, it's sort of a bit like with these actors in these things. It's a bit like you know when you're at school and you see a teacher in the supermarket. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. It's just a bit like, what are you doing here? You live at the school, don't you? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god! Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So what else seven is? Uh, one thing I want to talk about. I know you, you haven't kind of seen it, but the stone tape, all right, is yeah. a must see. Again, it's a Nigel Neal one, mm-hmm. and I was gonna say if you've seen, obviously everyone's seen Hyde. Yeah, Hyde is a photocopy of stone tape, essentially, <laughs> it, it, almost exactly, except for the main twist. The idea of stone tape mm-hmm. is that these people who've gone into this mansion and with the ghostly is this idea that things can imprint on a physical place. Oh, yeah. That's very Doctor Who as well. Yeah. So the idea is the actual building, as big, the actual stones, so that's why it's called the stone tape, mm-hmm. have absorbed kind of what's happened in the room. Mm-hmm. So if someone's been murdered in it, you could extrapolate that from the actual bricks. Oh. Wow. Right? Yeah. So um, it's... Yeah, and the actual it's a it's a hang on, how long is it? It's a ninety minute. Minutes, it was a yeah. Christmas. It was a Christmas ghost story. It's out on DVD. Mm-hmm. It's got I say people who you don't expect. It's got bloody Jane Asher in it. You keep <laughs> expecting to break, bust out, and make a cake. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's actually genuinely scary nice. even now. And uh, yeah, it's I was gonna say it's basically the a grown up version of Hyde. Mm. Oh, I've seen it. Um, got. Bundled into a two-disc edition with Ghostwatch. <laughs> oh God, we got. Wow. Are we going to talk about Ghostwatch a little bit in a minute? Because when we get onto the '90s stuff, I feel like mm. we have to because, because um, uh, w- obviously, once we get past the '80s, I mean, um, Doctor Who's off the air. 
Yeah. So there's a few things that come up in the noughties and the nineties and things. So mm. especially because people who make Doctor Who now are in their thirties and forties and were influenced by these things they watched as kids. So mm-hmm. I think it's we won't talk about them for very long, but I think they're worth touching on. So yeah, yeah I just wanted to cover that one because um, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else from the seventies you wanted to mention, or should we jump ahead? Uh, to the 80s? Let's jump ahead. Yes, the the decade of our births. Yes. Um, so uh, this one's a little bit more difficult because there is like stuff, um, but the the Wikipedia page is kind of sparse, really. Um, mm. Obviously, you got Dave the Triffids. Yeah, the reason why I will never ever watch a meteor shower. <laughs> um, I think should we give a mention to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Um, arguably my favourite iteration of the franchise, I think, um, for mm. some reason. Uh, it's, I mean, because I mean, the radio plays are all very good and all that. Um, but I, yeah. know, I think there's something... I quite like the idea of the BBC like challenging themselves to make a proper visual version of it. Mm. Because there's quite a few ideas in like the original book and in the radio play which you think... Wow, that's weird. So the fact that they actually like took it upon themselves to go, right, we're gonna have a bash at this. Yeah. Like, um Zephyr Beeblebrox for a start. I mean yeah. the animatronic second head isn't good at all, really. Um <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um but I mean when you've got like there's some like really great like graphics like the book itself all the graphics that it was like hand animated and you know it's just it's it's actually really rather good yeah i think that it's it's a testament to what can be done on a on a on a shoestring budget mm-hmm. um i think the idea of what marvel the paranoid android looks like or for to most people comes from this series yeah yeah i mean the movie version voiced by Alan Rickman, was all very good, but it just looked a bit too clean. He should look like this like crappy, like beat-up, sort of cheap-looking... Ta- several cardboard boxes taped together look. Yeah, but, I mean, that, that's kind of how... I mean, even... I mean, it's difficult because I think I saw the TV series before I actually read the book itself. Mm. Um, so... Like my idea of what Marvin looks like is always coloured by the the boxy, cheap, tatty sort of yes. thing, but it makes sense for his character, mm. you know. Um, and he, obviously Douglas Adams, um, who was responsible for uh, some <laughs> late seventies, uh, early eighties Doctor Who, and uh, oh, that's that's the other thing. Um, what we're going wildly off topic but sort of back onto like Doctor Who which is our bread and butter um, what do you make of uh, Sharda coming back again <sighs> blimey I mean how many more times is this bloke who wrote it going to get paid for this series I know. Um, I think for me because I've seen it obviously there's been audio adaptations mm-hmm. there's been you know video with linking narration there's mm. been sort of an eighth doctor version of it i'm Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like 
Shard of the Story itself, it's in, not that it's enough, but Shard of the Story itself isn't so amazing that I'm like, yes, I must see mm-hmm. a gazillion interpretations of what this story is like. It's mm-hmm. okay, um, but it's it's not like kind of the 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 world changing set of revelations. I think that it, it's it's acquired this mystique of this mm-hmm. because it's lost. Yeah. Or it was, it, it's unfinished. Mm-hmm. So it's this idea that the quest for the definitive article must go on. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, we, we will, we will watch it, we will own it uh, mm-hmm. inevitably. So, but I think that it's, it, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm just kind of not even over underwhelmed by it. I'm just whelmed. Yeah, I it's mean, fine. Yeah, I mean, the idea to do the anime, I mean, doing the animation to um, link the pieces, as it were. Um, is nothing new to Doctor Who DVD releases, but the, the one thing when I watched the trailer that sort of took me out of it was hearing Tom Baker as the Doctor. I mean, mm. we we say like the good thing about Big Finish is that you know like Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sebastian McCoy, Paul McGann can come back and replace these roles is because the voices haven't changed. But when you watch the live action footage, the original footage in that trailer, compared to Tom Baker voicing over the animated you can tell he is older. Yeah. And it's it's clear in his voice and I that's I think that's kind of the reason why I don't know if I would want to own Shard. I mean it's, I know this is a bit mm. of a stupid reason, but I just have the feeling like that would be It's enough to disassociate you from yeah, the, the would, kind of It would take me out of it, I think. Yeah. And yeah. um and to be honest, I think my favourite version of Shara is like you've mentioned, the Paul McGann one. Yeah, this one least, I like. Yeah. yeah, because it at least it put a bit of a twist on it, the story. Mm. Um, but obviously, with like Paul McGann in it, rather than Tom Baker, acting alongside uh, Lala Ward as Romana. And I did the, the, think they had great chemistry in that. But what I liked is it sort of like toyed with like the lost aspect of the original serial. And then... The Doctor and Romana have to like go back to Cambridge and find out what the hell they were doing there in the first place, mm. and I quite like that. And there's something about um, the bit where the Doctor is reading the book to Skagra, and you know, there's all this like nonsensical noises to it. There's something about Paul McGann's delivery of that scene where it's quite obviously he's taking the piss out of Skagra. Yeah. Um, whereas with Tom. I don't know. I kind of get the feeling that, I, I mean, I don't remember whether that section actually made it to film or not, whether or whether that was like one of the um, the lost because um, it was it was all the location stuff that um, made it, didn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah and the, the the studio stuff never got recorded. I think wasn't it? Yeah. So I always get the feeling that that would have been more of Tom. I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. It's not, it's not like playing it straight, but yeah. you know when like Tom does his silly bits, you know, it, like yeah, sort of like yeah. sort of he's being earnestly silly. If that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it's understandable. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's that's kind of the feeling I, I get that that's how it got. So that's why I kind of prefer the Paul McGann version because it, it's clearly he's just like doing it to mess with Skagra. Absolutely. Yeah. But anyway. Um, so yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's it's hard to talk about because it is so ubiquitous, really, in a way. Yes. Um, I mean, we we've mentioned it several times on the podcast already. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so shall we move on um, to something else? Is there anything else from the eighties you wanted to mention or eighties? Uh, not especially. Let's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've let's... kind of got Red Dwarf. Um, but I think because Red Dwarf it, it is a sci-fi, but it, it's obviously more leans towards the comedy. comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, and also it's not it's not really like a thing of like if it was just two of them, mm-hmm. then you it is almost kind of I mean it it was it was a comedy at the time that Doctor Who was taking itself incredibly seriously. Mm, yeah. So it it kind of and by the time that Who ended, Red Dwarf was going on still, and I just think they they're not really the same, although they're both obsessively sci-fi they're kind of so different they mm-hmm. kind of haven't really intersected yeah in that way um although there's a little bit of uh hometown pride with that because um one of the guys who, who created red dwarf is is basically from the town i grew up in um <laughs> if, you, if you read any of the books um i think it's uh infinity welcomes careful drivers mm-hmm. um the guy right at the beginning is from sidcup which is just down the road from where i worked from <laughs> where i grew up um and also um lister's favorite uh uh sportsman uh, jim bexley speed bexley mm-hmm. is again it's it's the the night from the london borough of bexley so <laughs> It's uh, it's always a little bit of of nice to see those little things in there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so the nineties, which is oh probably... the nineties, a weird time. Yeah, this is probably when we were most likely to be watching, uh, television, uh, science fiction. Yes, um, there there are things that I mean, the things that really stick out to me. Um, I mean, because obviously um, I sort of associate all the Thunderbirds and stuff things from with the 90s yeah. because I watched it on Monday night before I went to Brownies. That was just <laughs> the thing we, you know, that was the thing we did. So that's that kind of all gets linked in. So kind of growing up, the stuff my dad loved, I yeah. think, is is definitely um, a big influence on me. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that I really, um, two things actually, Nightmare. Mm-hmm. The, the kids, you know, I say kids, it was pretty, <laughs> some pretty harsh shit in it. It was a game show and it was extremely, it was, it kind of blew my mind at the time because it was all done on um, a soundstage like Chroma Key. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, they were being, it was basically the idea is there's a team of four kids. One of them goes into the the dungeon with a big helmet on so they can't see. Yeah. And the people who are in the studio behind them then direct them around this uh, labyrinth and they they interact with actors mm-hmm. who they have to solve riddles and they can move on. And the idea is that they're on a quest for a cup, a trophy, a thing like this. Mm. And it was known, it was very known for being absolutely ridiculously rock hard. They would <laughs> ask questions that assumed that these kids knew about chess and anagrams and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> it was one of those things that the kids who were on it were never from the school you went to, any sort of school you went to. It was always grammar school kids mm. uh, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, but I remember watching it and just, I mean, it was, it's in, it was incredibly influential on me. I mean, um, it's it's much beloved still mm-hmm. um, and remembered with great fondness from the people who, who watched it at the time. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, and it's, um, yeah, it's one of those things it kind of, informed a lot of the things that i love now still it yeah. was incredibly influential you'd think with like the with with how much cgi is used these days that they haven't actually tried to bring it back but then again when you think about it, we really don't have sort of i mean yeah they're, they're sort of like stuck on like digital channels now but you like on the the main four or five channels that we have obviously bbc ones and twos itv channel four channel five they don't really have like a proper 
kids programming section anymore apart from like maybe it's on a Saturday morning and that's it you mm. know you don't have like CBBC like you used to have sort of sort of mid to late afternoon early evening anymore. I mean because there's no yeah because the, the, obviously the big thing with us with the broom cupboard on BBC yeah that was musty television oh ah, yeah because um, literally I say broom cupboard literally the idea was that it was some cupboard under the stairs at the BBC yeah that they just crammed a presenter in and yeah. um, so that for a lot of the time I was watching it was Philip Schofield mm-hmm. and Gordon the Gopher oh, and yeah. later yeah. on Ed the Duck which yeah. was like a puppet yeah. um, and then he would sort of do all the links between the tv shows yeah. um and then there was citv which was the itv equivalent and i used to go between the two mm-hmm. i know that there were some kids who were religiously one or the other but i went oh, between yeah. the two um and just sort of the oh gosh so many things fun house oh, with pat sharp yes fun house was awesome fun house was incredible art attack yep yep art attack um, yes good shit oh um, gosh i, I mean, mean count Ducula. yes all, like basically all the Cosgrove Hall, uh, all the Cosgrove Hall stuff, was, Hall stuff was yeah. And and the nineties is kind of where, well, certainly where I remember, like where ITV really sort of like lean, sort of lean towards um, science fiction programming because up to that point it was mostly almost all BBC. Mm. Um, so obviously, like you've got like kids shows such as Mike and Angelo. Do you know what? Until you re- until you reminded me of Mike and Angelo, it had completely been deleted from my brain. Yeah. I remember watching it. I'm sure I watched it. And... I've definitely seen it, but I don't yeah. remember much about it. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so the Wikipedia says, uh, It centers on Angelo, played initially by Tyler Butterworth and from Series 3 onwards by Tim Whitnell, uh, the char- after the character regenerated, a, f- a concept mm-hmm. first used in Doctor Who, an alien that came from another world during the first series, the portal from his world being that of a wardrobe in one of the bedrooms of the uh, titular Mike and even then they had like a rotating cast because uh, it says he lives with Mike King, played by Matt Wright, and Mike's mother Rita. Later series had Mike and Rita move away with Rita's nephew Mike Mason, Michael Benz, uh, staying on in the house with housekeeper Katie. Uh, and then I think in the final series, uh, there was another Mike, well, Mickey rather, Michaela, um, mm. who joined the, the cast. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, what I didn't realize was this ran from 1989 to 2000. I can't believe it was on as late as 2000. 12 series. Good Lord. I know. That's bizarre. I mean, unfortunately, I don't think it's the sort of, I mean, this probably never got, um, a, a proper like DVD release, but I think like shows like this never usually do. No, like because Nightmare is one of those ones that people are constantly saying, if this was on DVD, I would buy it in a heartbeat. I mm-hmm. would. Um, and but the thing is, those things that are caught up in rights problems, like mm-hmm. like things like Danger Mouse and Count Duck, you know, you can get on DVD, but yeah. not all of it, and not in the right order. And um, yeah, it's very strange. I mean, let's say a lot of these kids' programs, like I say things like. Like the really mad high energy ones that I really remember loving, like say so Funhouse, Finders mm. Keepers was the mm. other one I really liked with yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the old Neil Buchanan. You can't. Um, ITV did a retro day a couple mm-hmm. of years ago with, and they had 
redos of these shows on YouTube as well. They had oh, yeah. a nightmare special because there's a couple of YouTubers did it, mm-hmm. um, which was quite interesting. So I think it's a case of the people who grew up loving these things mm. are sort of our age now. So that yeah. they are the ones who are making TV. Yeah. So um, this is why actually sort of the nineties is kind of interesting because if you think of something like Press Gang, yeah, Stephen, uh, which is a Stephen Moffat, yeah, um, was making a again ostensibly for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, drama. Well, no, it sort of wasn't for kids. It was sort of what we now call tweens. So something yeah. like eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, that sort of thing mm-hmm. of um, a, a newspaper being run by people who you would find cool. So people who yeah. are like sixteen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, tackling sort of big things of the day. Um, yeah. So it's it's where people who are making who now started cutting their teeth, mm. and in terms of I mean the the big the one big fantasy thing not so much sci-fi but fantasy yeah the do you remember the adaptation of Lion Witch of the Wardrobe which came out about that time did you what did you watch that I don't think I did but I definitely remember it being a thing yeah because it, it has like the, the definitive Aslan mm. as far as I'm concerned I mean considering it like I say it's a 90s production mm-hmm. I think that effect would stack up against anything yeah because it was I mean it was one of those things of like in the playground everyone watched that mm. when it was on um so yeah I mean it wasn't so much a case of I think it, it wasn't like that sort of hard sci-fi thing that um people were watching mm-hmm. 10 20 years ago because that was kind of seen as creaky and old un- unfashionable next generation was on yeah. so that was like the coolest sci-fi that was going on oh yeah um yeah. so um British sci-fi kind of took a bit of a backseat I think mm-hmm. sort of it's definitely the mainstream yeah. Um, there were a couple of things that started mm-hmm. popping up, but um, not really when we were kids. Because like I say, if you wanted to watch sci-fi, you're watching The Next Generation, really. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was looking through like the list of um, CITV shows that they used to have on. And I, I, there was one... Oh, right. It was about this kid who, at random points for you know hilarity, would turn into a dog. Oh, shit. I remember that one. Yeah. Um... Oh, fuck. What was that called? Oh, that woof. Oof. Oh, oh, mate, oh, I'm wow. going to watch it woof. Yeah. Oh, that Is was... Is that sci-fi? <laughs> I... Yeah. Well, it's certainly got a fantastical element to it, I suppose. Because... It does. That's very true, I guess. Yeah. Um, but as, in terms of, like like you say, proper British sci-fi, there wasn't... There wasn't a hell of... I mean, there's... Looking at this page, there's titles that sort of register in my brain. Like, mm. I know I've I've heard of these beasts... But nothing, I mean, like, Space Island 1, mm. which, was that not, that was um, Beast Guy B, wasn't it? Yeah, because this is, I think it's before we got Sky, so I don't yeah. really remember it very much, so. Yes, this, so the 90s, really, was when Britain had the launch of satellite TV. So yeah, yes, like because Sky. it was all terrestrial before that. Oh, so yes. yeah, yeah. you had BBC One, BBC Two, ITV and Channel Four, Channel 4 and started in the 80s. Yeah. And that was it. And then Channel 5 came along. Um, it was the mid 2000s or was it the early 2000s? I... So remember the Spice Girls were a big part of the marketing for it. Channel so five. was launched in 1997. Good grief. It is 20 years old. Wow, there you go. So, I mean, that's it. I mean, and that sort of preceded the big, sort of big uptake of people starting to get cable television and mm. get satellite television. I mean, because when boxes, I was a kid, the yeah. only people the only people who had satellite kids were the Asian kids, so yeah. they could watch ZTV, mm. which is the big <laughs> Asian news uh, sort of 
telly network mm. um so if because i had friends who you know they'd have a giant satellite dish in their back garden mm-hmm. and occasionally a dad would go out and push it every so often <laughs> to get the, the signal in the proper place mm. so um yeah that that was the only people who had satellite up until i would say the the late 90s early thousands yeah um yeah so there was it were a few things sort of starting to pop up and got like you say on b sky b as it was known then mm-hmm. um yeah, there was another weird one which I think sort of has become notorious. I don't remember what it's called, but Chuck brings it up all the time. It was Is that the um, one with David Banks in it. Yeah, the one where oh. it ends with the the building taking off. Oh, yeah, notoriously, I know which one you're talking about, but I cannot remember for the life of me what's. I'm gonna have to look this up. Sorry, I'm, yeah. Sorry about all this, uh, folks, but um, this is the problem when we sort of have these sort of wanders down memory lane. Yeah, um, I would say in the 90s, above all, if you want something that influenced who the way it is now, just watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Because yeah. up, up, especially the uh, the earlier series, series one, mm-hmm. RTD was, you know, so you know, so in love with Buffy mm-hmm. and oh. all of its all of its doings that um, it 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 was a massive influence on who. Oh, Canary Wharf was that. Um, yes, yeah. That show, yeah. Wow, that's. That was. It was absolutely terrible. Yeah, I, I never saw it, but I heard of the ending. And I just, and even I thought like, wow, that was fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thanks, Dave. Yeah, but um, yeah, the nineties was a bit weird because I mean, you've got shows like Bugs. Oh, crikey, Bugs. Mm. Um, yeah. We, so basically, Bugs was a series about a all these four. Really. Yeah, a cyber yeah. thriller. Exactly that. That's right. Um, mm. Uh, of these four it was four people who work for this sort of mysterious agency and they would counter uh threats of because they say the internet was like a oh, scary new thing Ooh, and yeah. uh yeah um you know mobile phones and fax mm-hmm. machines and all this yeah. sort of thing <laughs> so the idea of you know th- something like you know like your fax machine would start spitting out messages and s- things like this or mm-hmm. um people could plant a, a bug in in your phone and record all your phone conversations and mm-hmm. you know drain your bank account all this sort of thing so it's like i say it's all brand new things mm-hmm. and um yeah so bugs it, was was a big thing then i remember i mean we used to watch it religiously yeah i always felt felt with bugs like if like the unit stories with the doctor stranded on earth so like if doctor who had started later and yeah. like like bugs would be sort of like the like the 90s take on the unit earthbound stories like yeah like, there'd always be like rogue computer of the week <laughs> so yeah. I, mean, I mean you kind of did have that with boss in the green death but um yeah still um well, as well it sort of reminds you of like um the early x-files in that they had a couple of episodes <laughs> there um one the Merrill one ghost, I suppose, in, the ghost in the machine yeah, yeah. Mm. um which is sort of like that you know the evil building mm-hmm. computer running the building sort of thing yeah um yeah those sort of the very early sort of primitive cyber thriller like mm-hmm. you say um, um, which you know, then the Matrix came along and threw flushed all of those things <laughs> just down the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> if you think, isn't it weird to think about this? I think Bugs was what was it ninety six that was on something like that. Uh, Three years later, the Matrix arrives. Ninety five, ninety five to ninety nine. Right, ninety five, ninety nine. So it was still going when the Matrix came out. Well, and then everyone mm. went, "What the fuck is this compared to the Matrix?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see. Well, okay. So this is not really sort of connected to Doctor Who much, but I do remember it being quite a popular thing. Good night, sweetheart. 
Good Night Sweetheart is a horrible program, and yeah. this is why. It is it is condoning the actions of a man who's cheating on his wife. Yep. I don't care. It's a man who's found a sort of space weird fold in space time. Mm-hmm. He's able to go and live in World War Two era, which is what it what it is. Um, this dude is straight up cheating on his wife, and there's yeah. no two ways about it. Mm-hmm. I refuse to condone his behaviour. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's but pretty yeah, it's ostensibly really, it's yeah. ostensibly a comedy. Yeah, sort of a culture clash sort of thing of someone who's. Um, obviously, got the is someone who lives in the in the modern Britain, going back fifty years to mm-hmm. to have to live with people who are in the, you know from the nineties forties. Yeah, yeah. The only other thing that I feel we I kind of have to mention from the nineties is let's take a deep breath and sigh. Crime traveller. Oh. <laughs> uh... But people you know, love crime travel though to be fair yeah, people love it it's one of those weird ones where on paper it sounds awesome in yes, reality it, does. it was awful <laughs> it was not good it's not good but the, the the weird thing is it had over 8 million viewers like, it's incredibly regularly. influential yeah but I mean it, it, I think it just sort of I think when it it only ran one series, and I think it was only because I think there was I don't know whether they, like somebody had come in at the BBC like they knew had a drama or something, mm. uh, and like they never like really somehow got around to commissioning a second series, so it just never happened. So they just sort of got abandoned, really. Mm. Um, but I, it, it was a strange beast of a thing. Yeah, it is very strange. Yeah, and just I mean the the picture of like the title card on Wikipedia, it's very like Doctor Who the TV movie. It is, yeah. Look at that. It's about that. It's about that era. Yeah, because yeah. obviously the TV movie is, mm-hmm. yeah, is a strange, a sort of a strange step in Doctor Who's history. Sort mm-hmm. of even if you love it or hate it or whatever, yeah. it it was it was an odd time to be making Doctor Who, and mm-hmm. like I say, the the way that Sci- the, what sci-fi was to a contemporary audience was very much had moved away from what Doctor Who had to offer. Mm-hmm. So it was this whole, say, you know, dark, gritty, um, like I say, cyber thriller kind of, um, you know, cool mm-hmm. guys, dark glasses kind of idea of the future. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, Doctor Who kind of was trying to find its niche in that, in that, in that way, and um, it, it wasn't always comfortable there. I don't think. No. Yeah. Okay, so that's kind of the night he's exhausted. Um, yeah. So let's jump forward to the 2000s. Um, I've got one to jump in because it, uh, it's sort of a before they were famous mm-hmm. uh, to you to most people who uh, watched um, Who for the first time. It's probably the first time they might have seen Christopher Eccleston. Uh, Second Coming. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I, yeah. I, I think I only, I've only ever seen bits of it, but it's, I don't know, it always like... Um, made an impression on me probably because I think uh, Orbital sampled it in one of their um, albums mm. um, but yeah Chris Eccleston, um, Russell T Davies um, and also had some like some cracking speeches performed by Eccleston I mean if you mm. if you ever need somebody to do a great speech you know Chris Eccleston's your man um, yeah. and a lot of it like still rings true today I mean, especially like when we were talking about like Doomwatch just uh, before when you've got like little bits of like science 
running amok. I mean, there's, there's that one line there, like you're running around science, like kids with guns creating a new world while the world you've got is stinking. And he says, go on, hands up, hands up anyone who thinks you got it right. And this is Paul, he goes, yeah, there's always one. I can see you. <laughs> um, and I think the, the other... I'm trying to think what the other one was, but it sort of ends up with the uh, excellent like grinning down the like, down at the lens of the camera and going cheeky bastards, <laughs> and it gets cut <laughs> from the uh, the podcast. Yeah, um, um, I don't want to say too much about it because it's one of those things. If you haven't seen it, mm-hmm. um, sort of talking about it too much kind of uh, spoils where where it goes as a series. So mm-hmm. it's one of those ones I don't. I think it's I think it's out on DVD and you can get it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's definitely worth checking out, uh, not just because obviously it's the early collaboration between RTD and uh, Eccleston, mm-hmm. uh, but because it's, it's a it's a dang good story. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. One other one uh, I wanted to bring up from the two thousands, and I think I'm I me and Chuck might be the only people who actually watched it mm-hmm. when it came out. Last Train. I've heard of this. Yes. So basically, what happens is it it was like so it was playing on that sort of turn of the millennium fear it was set mm-hmm. 99 to 2000 and what it was is an asteroid hits the earth mm-hmm. and there are these people who are on a train when it hits and they're in mm-hmm. a tunnel and basically it sort of transpires that one of them knew about it and was racing to get to a bunker and he had a little cry little thing of cryogenic thing storage mm-hmm. so these people are frozen and then woke wake up mm-hmm. And then have to try and work out what the fuck is going on, essentially. And it's sort of a, a bit of like Survivor sort of journey through these sort of crazy societies that have popped up and mm-hmm. the way that people are trying to cope. Um, it, I don't think it's ever been released on DVD. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure where you would obtain it from, but I'm sure there are ways. Um, there are but it's methods, things, yeah. There are methods. Um, and I was going to say, I mean, it was wildly underwatched at the time, if uh, mm. memory serves. Um uh, it's but it's definitely worth checking out if you can find it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not seeing any mention of a of a home video release. Yeah, and it's never been aired in the America either. No. So uh, uh, yeah, good it's, luck. But it's def- good, <laughs> good luck. All the best of luck. But good it's hunting. definitely worth. It. Yeah, if you can find it somewhere, please hmm. do because it's definitely worth doing so. Yeah. Again, again, the 2000s was always a, as I remember, a bit sparse for the sci-fi. I mean, obviously, this was hmm. when. You know, Doctor Who Returns, and then you had, like, Torchwood, Sarah Jane Adventures and all that. Um, but I think one that we should at least mention, I don't know if I would necessarily recommend it, um, was Doctor Who sci-fi competitor on ITV at the time, Primeval. Yes. Um, it was... So it was sort of set up as being a... A sort of opposite... A sort of another sci-fi thing you could watch instead of Doctor Who, wasn't it? Mm. Um uh, it, it, I don't think it was. It was okay. I mean, Chuck liked yeah. it. I think it was all right. It, it was people and dinosaurs, and you know what's not to like. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it it was. Um, I would only sort of give it a, a, a C for me. But um, mm. yeah, it's all right in it. Yeah, it was. It was okay. I've, I only ever watched like a few episodes, and I was like, eh, it's okay. But you know. But I mean, apart from that, there's not. Again, not really much sort of. I mean, this is, I suppose, in a good way that like um, British science fiction was like trying to branch out from mm. uh, just like being so, like, oh, well, like, let's let's do a twist on Doctor Who. I mean, um, but I mean, like the the only other thing that sort of stands out to me on this list is um, Jerry Anderson's new Captain Scarlet, which was um, a CGI 
remake of uh, the original series. Mm. Um, which, again, was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, sort of, uh, do you want to jump forward to the two, 2010s? Yeah, we certainly can. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what what sort of jumping out to you in the 2010s? Um, um, we've got Dirk Gently. That was, um, again, Douglas Adams. That was a, a thing. Um, I only had like four. I think it's, it's probably run longer in America. The American version has mm. um, than the British one. <laughs> I think. Is it? Mm. I'm trying to remember. Um, but uh, yeah, again, it's sort of, it's more sort of, I mean, Black Mirror is probably the other like standout. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll tell you, actually, one th- a couple of things we've forgotten. I'm just sort of skimming through mm-hmm. um, that I think probably bear mention. Uh, Ashes to Ashes and Life on Mars, yeah. I think, uh, are pretty big ones as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, it's those sort of, those short and those short series that have, like, a big impact. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, but things that I wouldn't say are definitively sci-fi, but have elements of a science fiction yeah. kind of premise, if you like to say so. Mm-hmm. Things again. I won't. I won't spoil like Life on Mars and things like this. It's one of those things you have to kind of watch and and see for yourself, mm-hmm. um, and not spoil any of the any of the twists of the story. Um, but yeah, uh, those I mean, Black Mirror, I think, is a is a big one. Yeah, and I, th- to, I think a lot of people probably who listen to us might have like already seen it. So it's it's kind of the like the newer stuffs like harder to recommend probably because. I think maybe a lot of people will actually sort of gravitate it towards it anyway. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we've sort of kind of petered out, but we've kind of reached the end. Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, because, um, but as well, you, you, you're sort of using a pretty loose definition of what sci-fi is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'll tell you what, things like the new the new series of Star Trek, I mean, that'll yeah. be interesting to see how that, that sort of ripples in mm. terms of things like that. But I mean, Doctor Who is kind of weird in that it's, it sort of exists in this odd bubble yeah. in that it's kind of straddles all the things of sci-fi and fantasy. And it, it it's, it's a reflection almost of kind of the time it's being made in as well as the mm. people who make it. So that's why you, you, you sort of say you could have contemporary stuff of the sixties stuff and quite a mass and the seventies stuff and doom watch and the eighties stuff. And, mm. Yeah, so it's um, yeah, it's it's sort of interesting to see how sort of the big sci-fi shows. Now, I think there's an appetite for sort of taking a punt on things that yeah. are science, sci-fi because you have this sort of on-demand telly thing now of mm. someone will someone will give you a few quid to make it and have it on their their on-demand uh, shows. So things like The Expanse, for instance. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now that maybe sci- spaceship sci-fi shows are, are cool again. Maybe we'll see some, you know, it'd be interesting to see how having watched Discovery um, and you, you know the people who watch who watch these things. Mm-hmm. So if if you can see any sort of correlation between the two, but we'll see. It's it's an evolving text, if you will. Yeah. And that's, and that's, so, that's, yeah, that's always the beauty of sci-fi is someone yeah. always managed to find like a new twist on things, at least a, like a twist, because, you know. The, the, the old adage is nothing new under the sun. So you know. No, of course not, no. Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, let us know your thoughts. You can email us at greatestshow at synthesyndicated.com. You can tweet us at greatestshowpod, or you can visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash greatestshowpodcast. Whilst you're listening to us, feel free to check out our sister shows on the network, Simply Syndicated Movie News, Atomic Trivia War 9000, Masters of None, Do Ask, Do Tell, Bat Channel 66, Here Goes Nothing, Tech It or Leave It, The Seventh Chevron, Little Pot of Horrors, Ray Guns and Go-Go Boots, Nerd Hurdles, Making Sense of Richard Smith, The Greatest Events in Sporting History, For Those About to Rock, Dangerously Unprepared, Starbase 66, Simply Syndicated Gaming News, Random Access Memories, and The Simply Syndicated Discovery After Show. As always, we welcome your support, and the best way you can help us out is by subscribing to Simply Everything. For a monthly fee of just £6, you can enjoy a library of podcasts from the archives of Simply Syndicated, as well as episodes of the exclusive to Simply Everything shows Shaken Not Stirred, and the remote patrol spin-offs Oh Boy and Trust No One. Simply Syndicated also runs a merchandise store offering apparel and accessories to both Europe and America. You can also support the network through a monthly pledge on Patreon, or you can donate through the network through paypal.me, of which links to both are on the bottom of the website. So with that being said, thank you very much, Emma. Thank you, Mike. And until next time, take care and bye-bye.